0: Well, good morning, everybody. Good morning. All right, three of you. Good morning. <laughs> so, good morning, everybody. Good morning. Hey, I love it. So glad to see you. Uh, Pastor Gary preached a few weeks ago, and I listened to uh, his message, and it was so hilarious to me. At the very beginning, uh, he said something, and then he was like, hello, <laughs> is anybody here? And uh, and so he just talked about it, being responsive time, and love that. It helps all of us, but uh, so glad that you're here joining us in person or also online. This past week, as Pastor Madison said, we had the opportunity of gathering together a number of pastors from around the nation in our network of churches, and we had some powerful services and fruitful meetings, and then for the students to uh, compete in fine arts as well as uh, go to the youth conference that was going on. is phenomenal, and again, let's just give God praise for the four students from our church that represented Jesus very well and represented us, so proud of them, and Silas Jansen, I mean, top three for a poem from here, and so it's cool on a number of levels for them to be able to experience that. Number one, somebody might be like, they compete with their giftings for God, that's Someone judges you on preaching? That's kind of weird. Well, it's not as weird as what you think. And what it does is it helps refine that gifting uh, in the students. And it helps them know what are some ways that they can improve on it. So it's not questioning the gifting. Like, I would hope that no judge would ever look at any of those kids that are doing their best and go, you have no talent. (laughs) You should never do this again. But instead, they just help them improve. And then for them to go to a national level... And to see the talent that's out there only helps our students to go, wow, I want to refine the gift that God has given to me and to be even better at it to glorify him. So anyway, I just want you to know that they made you uh, proud. They made Jesus proud and uh, very appreciate Pastor Madison's leadership of those students and taking them there. Well, over the past few weeks, we've been in a series called There Is... Oh, oh Yes. Like, you guys have paid way more attention than the first service. So, uh, for the past, this is the fourth week of this message called, the series called There Is More. And so, I love it. There, uh, there is more. And this this phrase has been in my spirit, honestly, for the last six weeks. Many of you know I took an extended vacation and then came back, uh, and this is the fourth Sunday since I've been back. But uh, leading into that, I was like, God, as I come back from this vacation, what is it that you want to speak to our church in this season? In this moment, and I just felt like this phrase, there is more, was dropped into my spirit, and so we've been focused on this, and we'll continue in this series even after today, and here's what I want to encourage you with, is no matter where you find yourself in your relationship with Jesus, there is more. There's more. There's this resource that all of our pastors in our church use when we do pre-marriage counseling. It's called Prepare and Enrich And it gives a series of questions for future brides and future grooms-to-be. And they answer these questions separately. And then I get the results of those questions. Or one of the pastoral team members gets the results of the questions. And there are no real right or wrong answers. It just kind of lets you see what the couple's thinking, where they're at, as well as uh, gives us some talking points. So maybe there are some things that the couple is doing really well And so we get to celebrate that, encourage them to continue to grow in that. And maybe there are some growth areas that need to be dealt with or some special attention items that, that need to be covered. But in the assessment, there's this one statement that you are to respond with strongly disagree, disagree, undecided, agree, or strongly agree. And here's the statement. Everything new about my partner that I discover I love. <laughs> strongly disagree, disagree, undecided, agree, or strongly agree. And I will just tell you that most couples in premarriage counseling are in this lovey dovey stage. So without fail, the majority of them will put strongly agree. And I'm like, if you put strongly agree, one of two things has happened. Either your partner is withholding stuff from you, or you are delusional. Because I just guarantee you that there are sights and smells and sounds that maybe you found out new about your couple. I mean, your partner that, uh, that you did not love. Uh, I'll tell you that Brian and Sue Huber are here today. They have been married for 40 years. Today is their 40-year <laughs> wedding anniversary. And I guarantee you that there are things in the last 40 years that they have discovered about one another that they don't necessarily love. My wife and I will be married for 19 years on Tuesday, and she has learned a lot about me over the past 19 years, and I guarantee you that she has not loved all of it, right? There have been things that she has discovered about me that she wishes that she have never seen that element of me. But here's the deal, even after 19 years, there's still more to learn about her and she me. And different seasons will bring out different aspects of us that we haven't seen. And some of you might think, well, what do you mean? Well, here are a couple of examples. Eric and I have, have faced adversity in the last 19 years of our marriage. And the reality is, is we're going to face more adversity. And I'm generally an optimist, not a pessimist, but I just know that part of life we're going to experience adversity. And some of that adversity may very well be greater than the previous adversity that we face. And here's what I know. We might learn something through it. To put it in a positive light, that adversity could come from the outside. And through it, we see an element of the depth of our relationship with each other and the depth of our relationship with God that otherwise we wouldn't have seen had we not gone through that adversity. Another example is one day I hope that both of my children grow up to marry uh, godly, godly spouses and give us some grandbabies. And I'm gonna be like some of you in that honeymoon phase when I've got a grandbaby. I'm gonna pull out my phone every chance I get and I'm gonna show a picture of my grandbaby to anybody who will look and listen every opportunity I get. And then I'm gonna, after the honeymoon phase is over and my grandkids come to my house and they leave. Then my wife and I will collectively sigh a sigh of relief and we will take a nap. <laughs> a few weeks ago, there was a family here who had extended family here, and I was like, Have you loved it? And they're like, We're ready for them to leave. <laughs> <laughs> Glad you came. Here's the door. See you next year. So here's what I'm saying: is we're all still living. We're still growing, we're still learning, we're still walking through this life, and there are going to be some good experiences that we face, as well as some bad. And through it, we're going to see and experience the perfection and the faithfulness of God. Through it, we're going to see and experience the perfection and the faithfulness of God. So I, last week, I was in a dinner with some leadership of some people who work in India, and they were talking about how in some of the remote villages, there's no health care. And they said the healthcare system during COVID was this, that they would call the pastor and the pastor would go and lay hands on the sick and pray that they would recover. It was heart-wrenching as they shared that 20 pastors lost their lives courageously responding to members in their church and laying hands and praying on them. They lost their battle to COVID. These missionaries came together and they said to the widows and to the children, we're going to take care of you. We're sorry for your loss. We're sorry for the sacrifice, but we're going to take care of you. We're going to cover your expenses, and we're going to take care of your kids all the way up until they're graduates of college. And here's a couple of things that I want to say about that. Number one, your giving to kingdom builders enables us to be able to respond to ministries like that. There are a couple of missionaries that our church supports on a monthly basis that is a part of it. And in the midst of this tragedy, the church has come together to show the love of the Father to these widows and to these children. There are these things that we find out about one another as we go through life. Some of it we like, some of it we don't like. Some of you have found out things about each other during the season that you like, and some of you have discovered things that you don't like. I kid you not, in two separate conversations with different ministers this past week, one said that his family has all but disowned him because he hasn't had the vaccine. And another minister said our family has disowned us for taking the vaccine. And so two Different extremes. Ministers out there serving God faithfully, yet their families disowning them because of that that decision. And to me, it's just how sad uh, for that. And I just want to encourage you uh, as you think and as you pray for people that you would pray for pastors. You know, we pray for different countries every single week, but I would encourage you to pray for pastors. Pray for us. I will tell you that uh, that this has been. Comparatively speaking, this has been an amazing place. So I'm not telling you that the last 18 months has not been without challenge. It's not what I'm trying to tell you. But what I'm saying is that God has been faithful and you all have been incredible and you've leaned into the power of the Holy Spirit in this season and you have fought against the enemy's uh, attempts to try to divide the church and instead you've said, we're gonna fight against that and we're gonna unify together. And so you've expressed kindness and compassion and grace in this season. And so I'm saying that from the bottom of my heart. If it wasn't true, then I would tell you, You all stink. You need to pray more. (laughs) You need to be nicer. Like, I'm just, I'm telling you the truth. And so as I hear these other stories, I'm just telling you that there are leaders around the nation and around the globe that have taken a beating this year. And so I would just encourage you to be praying for the pastors here and pray for pastors elsewhere. Here's what I know. Even though man may let us down, God never lets us down. And what we should be able to say through through everything, everything new I learn about God, I love. Everything new I learn about God, I love. Now, it doesn't mean that we'll like everything that we learn about God, because there are times when we learn more about God that it might require some sacrifice on our part or letting go of some things that we want to hold on to. And so I I liken it like this. Eric and I have been married for 19 years on Tuesday, and there have been most seasons in that marriage where I love my wife and I like my wife. And likewise... But there have also been seasons when I love my wife because we're in a covenant relationship and I promise God that's what we would do till death do us part. But there's been some ugliness probably from me towards her that has caused me to not necessarily like her in that season. And so I would just encourage you, if you're in a season where you're not liking your wife, Uh, or you're not liking your husband, that today would be a day where you would seek restoration and reconciliation in your marriage and that you would allow God to bring healing to that so that the loving and the liking is restored. But as we talk about our relationship with God, everything new we learn about him, we should love. Again, it might not necessarily be that we like it, but uh, after Jesus' death and resurrection, he appeared to the disciples, and he told them to wait for the gift the Father had promised for them. He had promised them that there was more, and there's still more for all of us today. This morning, I want to talk about that gift that Jesus promised. There's this amazing gift that God has given us through his Holy Spirit, yet there's so much confusion around this gift. And so this morning, we're going to dive into this. Robert Morris wrote a book called The God I Never Knew. I'd encourage you to read it sometime. And I shared this quote a couple of weeks ago, but I'm going to set it up again and share it this week. He says, I'm convinced that one of Satan's primary strategies for keeping people from experiencing all the amazing help and benefits that come from a relationship with the Holy Spirit is to convince us that doing so will make us weird, really weird. Of course, Satan has a lot of help in reinforcing that lie. The world has its share of truly eccentric people, and some of them are, quote, spirit-filled Christians. But here's the news flash: They were weird before they were filled with the Spirit. That's just who they are. They'd be weird if they had never been saved and had pursued coin collecting. Instead, they would just be wacky coin collectors. So as we talk about this gift this morning, my prayer is that your hunger would outweigh your hesitancy, that your hunger would outweigh your hesitancy. How many of you know people who don't realize how loud they're talking? Okay, my wife would say I'm one of those people, and I'm like, no, baby, like, if I'm talking loud, I want somebody to hear me. Like, we stopped in Cedar Rapids for lunch the other day. And uh, and so, the the jeep, the weather tracking jeep, whatever the storm chasers—that's the word I'm looking for. Storm chaser jeep was parked in the front parking spot there at uh, at this restaurant, and so I was mesmerized by it—the uh, stickers on it, the equipment on it—and so I'm staring at it. And apparently, this lady thought I was staring at her, and so I walk by, and with an attitude, after I get past her, she's like, "What's he staring at?" And so I said, "The jeep." The Jeep! Staring at the Jeep! A few years ago, I was sitting at this event, and I don't remember what the event was, but I just know we were sitting in bleachers, and there was this person from our church there, and they turned around and said to me, so, what's the dirty on speaking in tongues? So you know what I did? I boldly stood up in my bleacher seat, and I began to yell in an unknown language. It's not what I did. Some of you are like, for real? No, no, I didn't. Instead, I did what you did. I looked all around to see if the whole place was looking at me. And then I said to her, listen, our church believes in speaking in tongues. I speak in tongues. Our pastoral staff speaks in tongues. And some of you are like, I knew that guy was weird. Well, I'll just tell you, I was weird before I was baptized in the Holy Spirit. Here's the deal. I want everyone to be baptized in the Holy Spirit. And my commitment to you is this, that uh, we'll protect the church and we'll make sure that things are in line with the Bible and are in order just as we have for the last seven years as, as an existence of a church. And so here's what we're going to do this morning. We're going to dive into some scriptures. We're going to look at a number of passages. I would encourage you to take notes so that you can reflect and study and read on these later. And then call me or call one of our staff members and ask any questions that you have about these passages. But here's what I want us to do this morning is I want us to look to the Word of God. Because this is where doctrine is built. It's built off of the Word of God. It's not built off of our experiences or our lack of experiences. Instead, it's built right here from uh, what God instructs us to do. So the first passage we're going to look at this morning is actually... Acts chapter 19, encourage you to turn there or scroll there on your phone, Acts chapter 19, we're going to begin reading, and verse number one is also going to appear on the screen. It says, and it happened that while Apollos was at Corinth, Paul passed through the inland country and came to Ephesus. There he found some disciples, and he said to them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And they said, no, we've not even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. And he said, into what then were you baptized? They said, into John's baptism. And Paul said, John baptized with the baptism of repentance, telling the people to believe in the one who was to come after him, that is Jesus. On hearing this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul had laid his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them and they began speaking in tongues and prophesying. There were about 12 men in all. I want us to look at verse number 1 again. It says this and it happened that while Apollos was at Corinth, Paul passed through the inland country and came to Ephesus. There he found some what? disciples. And you just heard the rest of the story. The questions they asked, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you were baptized? No, we didn't even know that there was a Holy Spirit. These people were classified as disciples. They are followers of Jesus. And when asked if they've received the Holy Spirit, they said, we didn't even know that there's one. And so this morning, if you've come in and, and you don't know that there's a Holy Spirit or you've not experienced all that the Holy Spirit has for you, you're in good company. The disciples walked with Jesus. And even in that moment, we're unaware. But verse number six says that when Paul laid his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them and they began speaking in tongues and prophesying. As we go to Acts chapter 1, verse number 4, it says, And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem. This is Jesus. He says, But to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, You heard from me. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, It is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, and all Judea, and Samaria, and to the end of the earth. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up. Jesus orders or commands the disciples to wait on the promise, this gift from the Father that's to come. Jesus was limited to one space and one time, and he knew that the Holy Spirit was not, and he was so excited to give this gift. And I just wonder for you, like, I, I love giving my wife gifts that I know she loves. So there are times after 19 years of marriage that I don't know what to get her for her birthday or for Christmas or for our anniversary on Tuesday, Lord help me. <laughs> mm-hmm. It's already purchased. Um, no. But here's what I love. I love when I know that I have found something good. I love that when I have found the perfect gift for her, and so I'm just telling you, it's so hard for me when I find that perfect gift for her like a couple times in 19 years that it's really hard for me to wait. Some of you will catch that later. You know, some of you who have been married for a little bit, and you're like, I don't even know what to get her or him anymore. So you'll understand later. But when I find it, it's hard for me to wait until that special day to give it to her because every bit of me wants her to have it right now. And I'm just telling you, I cannot imagine the rejection that I would feel if after spending all of that time and all of that money to find the perfect gift for her, if before she even unwrapped it, she looked at me and she's like, I don't want your gift. Can you imagine? Yet God has promised the gift of his Holy Spirit to all. And there are so many believers globally, who say to God, God, I know that you've prepared this gift for me. I know that you want me to have this gift, but I'm not interested in the gift that you're giving. Can you imagine? The mission was so critical for the disciples that uh, the world needed the hope that Jesus offers. And as we look at our world today, the brokenness, the dysfunction, the evil, we have to be living in the last days, and we need all the power that the Holy Spirit offers. We need all the power the Holy Spirit offers. In Acts chapter 2, verse number 1, It talks about this experience that the disciples had when they waited on the gift that God had promised to them that Jesus told them was coming. And this describes the setting and the scene of what happened when it came in Acts chapter 2, or when the Holy Spirit came. Acts chapter 2, verse number 1. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. Suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as a fire appeared to them and rested on each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And at the sound, the multitude came together and they were bewildered because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. They were amazed and astonished, saying, Are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each of us in his own native language? Parthians and Medes, Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians. We hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God, and all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, what does this mean? But others mocking them said, they're filled with new wines. They accused them of being drunk. Verse 4 says that they were filled with the Holy Spirit and they began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Robert Morris in his book says about this verse after hearing something they had never heard and seeing something they had never seen, these people found themselves with the power to do something they had never done. After hearing something they had never heard, after seeing something they had never seen, they found themselves with the power to do something they had never done. Before this day, the disciples were timid and afraid. They were hiding in locked rooms and dreading the knock on the door. John chapter 20, verse number 19, tells the story of of this exact moment. It says, On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews. And Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. A little girl in John chapter 18 had intimidated the burly fisherman Peter into swearing and denying that he even knew Jesus. But after that remarkable day in Acts chapter 2, the disciples personified boldness and confidence, and they boldly proclaimed Jesus in the public squares and in the synagogues. In fact, in Acts chapter 5, verse number 33, there's this wild story. It says, When they heard this, they were enraged and wanted to kill them. But a Pharisee in the council named Gamaliel, a teacher of the law, held in honor by all the people, stood up and gave orders to put the men outside for a little while. And he said to them, Men of Israel, take care what you are about to do with these men. For before these days, Theudas rose up claiming to be somebody, and a number of men, about 400, joined him. But he was killed, and all who followed him were dispersed and came to nothing. After him, Judas the Galilean rose up in the days of the census and drew away some of the people after him. He too perished, and all who followed him were scattered. He says, so in the present case, I tell you, keep away from these men and let them alone. For if this plan or this undertaking is of man, it will fail just like the other two have failed. But if, if it's of God, you will not be able to overthrow them. You might even find yourself opposing God. So they took his advice. And when they had called the apostles, they beat them. They beat them, and they charged them not to speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. Then they left the presence of the council. Watch this rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. And every day in the temple and from house to house, they did not cease teaching and preaching that the Christ is Jesus. These men are arrested and they're beaten and they're told not to speak in Jesus' name. These men didn't grow disillusioned, they grew emboldened. Remember when I said earlier that when we face adversity, we learn something new of God? These disciples were learning and experienced more of what Jesus went through. And so rather than denying Jesus in this moment or turning their back on him, they doubled down. And in verse number 41, it says that they left the presence of the council rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name of Christ. Now, I'm just telling you, I don't like pain. It would take an immense amount of the power of the Holy Spirit for someone to beat the daylights out of me for preaching the gospel and for me to walk out of here rejoicing that I got to suffer like Jesus for bearing his name. So I'm just telling, like, don't let that detail uh, go over. Some of you are like, yeah, I'd love to take a whooping today. You know, like, I doubt any of you would say that. But yeah, that's what happened for these disciples. And afterwards, after taking the beating... After rejoicing in all of it, it says that they went from town to town, from house to house, to synagogues, and they continued to preach the gospel. We need some spirit-empowered believers to continue to stand on the truth of God's word and boldly proclaim Jesus to others, no matter what the consequence. Acts chapter 2, verse number 38 and 39, says, Peter said to them, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit for the promises for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. Peter says to them, the first step to receiving the baptism of the Holy Spirit is to repent, right, to become a follower of Jesus. And so I would encourage you, if you've never asked Jesus to be your Lord and Savior, if you've never confessed your sins to him, that today would be the day where you would make the decision to follow after him with all of your heart. The second step that he talks about is being water baptized. And here's what I want to say to you if you've never been. Uh, water baptized, I would encourage you to take that next step and be baptized in water. So salvation is an inward work that Christ does in us. When we confess him as our Lord and Savior and confess our sins to him, that's a personal decision that we make between us and God. And then baptism is our way of going public with the decision that we've made. So we step into this church, uh, into the baptism tank, and we say to everyone who's listening and anyone who's watching, I have made a decision to follow after Jesus, and today I'm going public with that faith. I want God to know, I want you to know, and I want you to encourage me along in this race of faith. And that's what baptism is. And so here's the deal. If you've never been water baptized, we'd encourage you to reach out to our church office. Let us know. We'll baptize you any Sunday that you want to get baptized. We have a portable tank. We'll set it up up here so you say, my family's going to be in town on this Sunday. Can we do it? Yes, there is never a Sunday where we will say no to you. So any Sunday that you want to do it, you got to give us advanced notes so we can set it up, but we'll do it. Everybody understand that? So uh, we, we love baptisms. The third thing, he says, repent, be baptized, and receive the Holy Spirit. Robert Moore shares his testimony about this experience for him this way. He says, when I was saved, I became a new person. When I was baptized in water, the old person was cut off. When I was baptized in the Holy Spirit, I received the power to walk in the new. The third baptism makes a huge difference. For years, I tried to live in victory and power and purity. However, I experienced little but failure and frustration. After I received the third baptism, everything changed. Here's what I believe is some of you need that third baptism. You need the baptism of the Holy Spirit to change everything in your life. And so I want to take a few moments and address some of the misconceptions that come about the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And the first one is this. Some would argue that the baptism of the Holy Spirit is only for some Christians. And so Acts chapter 2 verse number 39 says it's for all. And so I'm going to go with that. It says it's for all. This promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off. The second misconception is Christians who experience Holy Spirit baptism are superior to others. I just want to tell you it's not true. It's not true. The baptism of the Holy Spirit should lead one to humility, not pride. And so I just want to apologize to any of you who have ever been made to feel less than because you've not received the baptism of the Holy Spirit by someone who has. And so I'll just tell you I'm sorry uh, for that. You're a valuable member of God's kingdom. And I would encourage all of us, no matter what season that we're in, to recognize that there's so much more that God has for us. The third misconception is this. I'm not holy enough to receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And so I would just ask you, what comes first, the chicken or the egg? And when it comes to the baptism of the Holy Spirit, I would say this, that the baptism of the Holy Spirit helps us to live a more holy life, to helps, helps us experience freedom from sin and the power to overcome temptation The fourth misconception is this, that all receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit in the same way. So some might receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. So this is not true. Everybody doesn't receive it the same way. Some people might receive it in a camp service or in a church service or a special service or in a small group or in a one-on-one. Or somebody might even receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit while driving their car down the highway. So a person can receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit anywhere and anytime the Lord sees fit. The fifth misconception is this, that the prayer language and the gift of tongues is the same. They're two distinct uh, things, and so we're going to talk about in a future sermon uh, at greater detail the, the distinctions, but they're different gifts. And Paul talks about the difference in 1 Corinthians chapter 14. He's bringing correction and instruction to the church. There are some things that got out of hand. And uh, and he says that the gift of tongues in a public gathering requires an interpretation. And so 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse number 23 says, If therefore the whole church comes together and all speak in tongues and outsiders or unbelievers enter, will they not say that you are out of your minds? Okay, this is why the worship team and I don't pray in tongues uh, into a microphone on a Sunday morning. The only time that a public gift of tongues should be used in a service as if there's an interpretation. And then even furthermore, what I would ask of you, if if someone feels like they have uh, the gift of tongues and an interpretation, that you would find me, or that you would find Pastor Dan or Pastor Madison, and then one of us will discern whether or not that's for this entire body or if it's for something else. And some of you might be like, well, you're just trying to squash the, the power of the Holy Spirit. No, I'm not but we live in a day where everything goes viral and this service is on the video. And there are some people who are gonna work in the spirit and some who are gonna work in the flesh. And so we're just gonna say as the pastor of the church, yes, I'm open to the gifts of the spirit working in our church, but I'm gonna pray and discern whether or not that's for this group or if it's for a different group. Do you understand what I'm saying? And it's important because in another verse that we're gonna get to in just a second, Paul talks about um, not stopping it. So I'm gonna have to keep going and find it and we'll get there. So this is why we don't pray in tongues in a microphone, but when you're in the private prayer or devotion time or praying for someone, it doesn't require an interpretation. Paul writes, for if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. What am I to do? I will pray with my spirit, but I'll pray with my mind also. I will sing praise with my spirit, but I will sing with my mind also. And Paul's doing this balancing act in this chapter. He's attempting to bring correction to the church and in order, in order to the way the members of the church are utilizing the gift of tongues in their public gatherings. But he also doesn't want to discourage them from yielding to the grace of tongues in their private devotional times of prayer. And so in 1 Corinthians 14, verse 18, he says, I thank God that I speak in tongues more than all of you. Nevertheless, in church, I would rather speak five words with my mind in order to instruct others than 10,000 words in tongues. And in verse 39, he says, so my brothers earnestly desire to prophesy and do not forbid speaking in tongues. That's the verse I was referencing a moment ago. But all things should be done decently and in order. All things should be done decently and in order. So finally this morning, for those of you who wonder if this gift is for you or if God would even give it to you, I wanna close with this passage in Luke chapter 11. And I hope that you'll turn there, that you'll read this passage, even as we leave out of here today, but Luke chapter 11, verse number nine, Jesus says, I tell you, ask, and it'll be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it'll be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives, and the one who seeks, finds. The one who knocks, it will be opened. What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish, give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? And so I end where I started this morning. I pray that today your hunger will outweigh your hesitancy. Will you bow your heads and close your eyes all across this room? Maybe there are some of you who've come in today and you don't have a relationship with Jesus. And you say, today I want to become a follower of him. Maybe there are others of you who at one time walked with God, but you've turned your back on Him, and you say, today I need to see my relationship restored back to Him. In just a moment, with every head bowed and every eye closed, if that's you, you say, I need to ask Jesus to come into my life for the very first time. Or you say, I need to see my relationship restored back to Him. When I count to three, why don't you slip up your hands all across this room. One, two, three. Lift them up all across this room. Thank you. I see that hand. You can put it down. Are there others this morning? Let's stand all across this room. There was at least one hand that went up this morning of someone who needs to ask Jesus to come into their life for the very first time. Or who needs to see their relationship restored back to him. Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to lead us in a prayer. And if you raise your hand, I want you to repeat it after me and mean it with everything that's within you. But know that you won't be praying this prayer alone, but that each of us in support of you will also be praying. Let's pray. said so dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much for sending your son Jesus to die on the cross for me. I admit that I'm a sinner. I admit that I've messed up. This morning I ask for your forgiveness. Come and give me a fresh start. Be my savior. Be my king. Take over every area. Take over every aspect. And help me from this day forward to live for you with all of my heart, with all of my soul. With all of my mind, with all of my strength, in Jesus' name, amen. Let's give God praise for what he's done this morning. If you prayed that prayer today in person or online, I would ask that you would text the word yes to 319-250-8998. Again, text the word yes to 319-250-8998. I'm going to ask that the prayer team would come to the front. We've saved time at the end of our services for people who've come in with a need. And so I would just encourage you today that if you've come with a need and and you need God to perform a miracle or to answer a prayer, that when the worship team begins to sing this song in just a moment, that you would step out of your seat and allow someone to pray for you. Maybe today you're saying, you know what, I, I want prayer to receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Maybe for some of you, you need God to do something else in your life. And I pray that today that your hesitancy would be outweighed by your hunger, that each of us in this room would say, God, whatever it is you have for me, I want it. And so whether that's here in this room this morning, whether that's in your quiet time uh, this afternoon or tomorrow, but that would be our prayer. So worship team's gonna lead us in a song. I would encourage you to step out of your seat this morning and allow this team to pray for you. Thanks for joining us. We hope that this message was inspiring and encouraging. For more information about this message or about all things Crosspoint, check out our Facebook and head to our website at www.crosspointwaverly.com.